Hi everyone, this show wouldn't be possible without the support of sponsors and this episode of Smashing Security is sponsored in part by NetSparker so big thanks to them. NetSparker are a web application security scanner and what they do is they can automatically find security flaws in your website and they can fix them before hackers can exploit them. So if you want to automatically check your web applications for cross-site scripting, SQL injection and other vulnerabilities and code and errors that can leave you and your business exposed to malicious hacker attacks, then you need something like NetSparker. Try it out now. Go and download a demo from www.netsparker.com slash smashing. That's netsparker.com slash smashing. And on with the show. Smashing Security, Episode 48, Crack, North Korea, and an 18th century cyber attack with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Smashing Security number 48 for the 19th of October 2017. My name is Graham Cluley, and I'm joined as always by my good chum and co-host Carol Terrio. Hello, Carol, how are you? Hello. I just wondered if you say my name badly, because then that way the show is just associated with you. What? And just your name. So how am I saying, how am I saying your name badly? <laughs> Carol. That's what I said, wouldn't I? <laughs> okay, yes, it is. I'm doing great. Thanks, Graham. How are you? 48 episodes in about 20 years. You would think I would know by now. I'm gorgeous, actually. And talking of gorgeous, we are joined by a gorgeous special guest. Now, I'm going to have to take a little bit of a run up at his name. Okay, here we go. Martin Hruten. Come on. Martin Groten. Hello. Yeah, that is, that, is, that is quite accurate, actually. You see? I don't think I get invited on podcasts a lot because no one dares to pronounce my name. So, so kudos to you for doing it quite well. And Martin, you are the sort of, you're the big boss at virusbulletin.com, aren't you? Who organized the VB conference, which just, just happened in Madrid. I was sorry to miss it, but Carol was there. She, she was. Um, I'm the editor. So I'm the one going up on stage at the very beginning and at the very end. And in between them, we have some awesome talks. And for those people who don't live and breathe this industry, what do you do? We publish technical articles, we test security software, and we have a conference where people talk about these attacks and defenses against them, and people from around the world get together and discuss these things. It's a great conference. I've been going for years. Yeah, there's a great vibe there, isn't there? And mm-hmm. there's, there's lots of smart people. And if, if if you run an antivirus on your computer, which I jolly well hope you, you are, then uh, the Virus Bulletin Conference is a fantastic opportunity to actually chat with the people who write your antivirus software, the people who actually develop it. Thank you, Martin. Great to have you joining us on the show. As always, if you've heard the show before, you'll know that what we do is we look back over the last seven days at news stories which have caught our eye, and uh, we have a little bit of a chat about them. And I want to start off by telling you this. Okay, I'm listening. All ears. It's 2014, and on a covert mission in North Korea... The world's most secretive nation, a British nuclear scientist, is taken prisoner, (gasps) triggering an international crisis, which itself must be kept secret. That is the premise of a controversial British TV drama series called Opposite Number, which was announced in 2014 by Channel 4, being made by a production company called Mammoth Screen. Okay. I have no idea where you're going with this. 
Well, what's interesting about this is, of course, if you try and make a controversial British drama series flipping the lid on North Korea, it turns out North Korea isn't very keen on that because that's what they're worried about. They're worried about people watching TV late at night and thinking, oh, that North Korea, I'm not going to go there on holiday. It's hurting their stellar reputation as a holiday destination. <laughs> it must be. Well, it must be because North Korea's most senior military body, the National Defence Commission, said that the UK authorities should, quote, punish those behind the project. Oh, dear. Because they said it was a slanderous farce that should be thrown into a cesspit. Interesting enough, now this TV show wasn't ever made. So oh. it was announced and okay. North Korea reacted. And they didn't just react in the press by making statements, grumbling about the project. That's a pretty harsh statement. Like that's a <laughs> Trump level statement, isn't it? Really? Yeah, wow. exactly. It's, it's like, guys, guys, wait until you've seen the show, right? Before throwing it into a cesspit. I and mean, there are other Channel 4 shows which certainly should be thrown into a cesspit. Have you ever seen Naked Attraction? I have, I have never had the pleasure. Mm. No, I have never watched it. <laughs> it is completely vile and possibly presents a bigger threat to the future of civilization than North Korea itself. So <laughs> that's the kind of show which should be thrown into a cesspit in my point of view. But <laughs> North Korea, very upset about this drama, even though they'd never actually seen it. Now, Mammoth Screen, who were planning to make the show, have claimed that they suffered a cyber attack. You see, now this is why it all comes back to us, you see. Now, it isn't clear exactly what kind of uh, nature of attack it was, which they uh, they suffered. But the BBC says that a TV executive had described it as them running around with their hair on fire. What, the people at Mammoth Screen? Well, I'm, well it could have been the actors, maybe if they were getting into <laughs> character as Kim Jong-un. Maybe, maybe they were singeing his, you know, tonsorially. Um, maybe they're fixing his hair or something. I don't know. But, Martin, this isn't the first time North Korea has been accused of... Um, hacking into media companies, is it? They are alleged to have been behind the Sony hack of late 2014, right. um, which was one of the most prominent hacks of the past years. And that's quite a bit of competition. Yeah, there, there was a lot of information which spilled out of their private emails, databases, you know, a huge amount of damage was done both to the brand uh, and to obviously the, the working of Sony Pictures who were planning that, well, they were making that comedy movie, weren't they, with... Uh, I think it was Seth Rogen or someone was in it, all about Kim Jong-un and, and, and about the a sort of an assassination attempt against North Korea's dictator. I, I've never been quite sure whether I believed this story that North Korea was behind that hack or not, although that is seems to be the official line. But the timeline does fit in kind of with this attack on Mammoth Screen as well, although we don't know whether they also had skulls full of blood sort of appearing on their screens and scary messages. Well, if people stop making documentaries that are insightful or revealing because they're afraid of being attacked, that's a bad thing. It's a bad thing for the arts. It's a bad thing for news. It's a bad thing for information sharing. Well, absolutely. And, but I also think, haven't North Korea got better things to do with their time? I mean, is this the, if this is true, is this a sign that their leadership are completely crazy ape bonkers? If they think, oh, what we need to worry about is some TV show going on in Britain rather than, I don't know, dealing with starving populations or dealing with that crazy haired loon uh, elsewhere who's planning to bomb us or, you know, or it's a like smokescreen, Mr. Clearly. It's a smokescreen to get you oh. talking about this. What else is going on right now? Oh, do you think? Do you think that just conspiracy that theory number twenty-four? I'm just saying. <laughs> it it also helps to emphasize the point that they're strong, at least to their 
opponent. Like, hey, we are we are big and strong and, and don't mess with Look us. Look what we can do. Yeah. But yeah, we, we were not 100% sure whether North Korea was behind the Sony attack. I think the attribution is fairly credible. Um, but if, it could also be that it was North Korea through some foreign, possibly mm. Chinese mercenaries. Yeah. Which is a theory I've also heard. It's a strange one, isn't it? I wonder whether this will impact any other organizations who are thinking of, you know, like you said, Crow. Yeah, and bringing this all up to us, right? This show opposite number, you're basically saying we're never it's never going to see light of day. No, apparently it's it, it doesn't look like it's going to come out. Apparently they didn't manage to get funding. Whether that's because of the cyber attack or not, I don't know. Is the cyber attack a bit of an excuse? Maybe. When no. did when apparently did the cyber attack happen? It happened in late twenty fourteen. Oh. It's around the same time as the Sony attack. What happened this week to make this a news topic? Oh, Just out of interest. <laughs> well, the New York Times revealed this. This hasn't previously been known about. It's, oh, it's, I ju- see. it's just leaked out that this happened. Channel 4 was targeted. BBC did a little bit of digging around and said, actually, although it's a Channel 4 show, it was being made by another company and they, Mammoth Screen, who were targeted instead. It does tie in with the Sony Pictures hack as well. And of course, North Korea is. An awful lot in the news at the moment, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Okay. So who knows about the truth of it or not? Doesn't sound like that show is necessarily going to be made. Um, I'm not sure if that has any great loss. Mama Screen went on to make Victoria. If you ever saw Victoria about Queen Victoria. Oh, yeah. Very, uncon- very uncontroversial. No one's complaining about Victoria, are they? <laughs> Prince Philip hasn't hacked Mammoth. Um... Yeah, yes. No, no, no. <laughs> so do you think North Korea goes after podcasts that Go talk about its leader. I would love them to do <laughs> no, that. No, Graham. No, of course we would. No. Next. It'd be fantastic. <laughs> what do you like? Just honestly. Martin, over to you. Okay, so my story is about crack. And that's crack spelled with a K. So Ooh, that's street. not to be confused <laughs> uh, with the drug. <laughs> it is a vulnerability in WPA2, which yep. you may not have heard about, but it, that is the protocol used for Wi-Fi, which I'm sure you've heard about, and I'm sure you use every day. And I'm also fairly sure that people listening to this show have protected their Wi-Fi network with a password mm-hmm. so that their neighbors can't listen in uh, on the internet traffic. Yes. Uh, this crack vulnerability essentially means that your neighbors can listen in on your internet traffic. Oh, great. Which is pretty bad, and it's so bad that the Independent wrote, almost every Wi-Fi in the world has been hacked, <laughs> which is quite a bit of an exaggeration. Um, it's a scary title. It is a very scary title. It's good for clicks. <laughs> I mean, a vulnerability is not the same as, as being hacked. In fact, and this is partly why I chose to cover this, it's been widely reported, this story. Uh, BBC, Guardian, everyone's been writing about it. And things actually aren't all that bad. Okay. Firstly, for complicated reasons, technical reasons, not everything using Wi-Fi is vulnerable. Especially newer Android phones are vulnerable to this crack thing. Secondly, it is really easy to patch. So many vendors have already rolled out patches. And thirdly, an attacker needs to be near you to exploit this. I mean need to be your neighbor or so proximity proximity is a big factor here they they need to be capable of basically jumping onto your wi-fi so if they're on the other side of the world they can't access your wi-fi mm-hmm. that, that's the story right exactly um, and most importantly and almost kind of without realizing we have built a very secure internet and most internet traffic is already encrypted so every major website 
Google, Facebook, your bank, Smashing Security, they all use HTTPS. So, so your neighbor can probably see uh, what BBC stories you're reading, but not much else, which means it's probably not that interesting for an attacker to use. Effectively, the way I understand it is that it's not the encryption itself that's been broken, is, it? is that right? But it's the key exchange part of it. And, and that's, yeah. that's the bit which the hackers are able to snoop upon. Yes. It is, it is a, a vulnerability in the protocol, in, in the standard you need to follow when you write a, a Wi-Fi client. So there's some irony here that yeah. Microsoft and Apple seems to have not been following the rules very much. That's why they're not vulnerable. And Android <laughs> developers have been following the rules. Uh, because it's built on top of Linux, which um, which has been following the rules. And that's why they are vulnerable. Oh, so this is fantastic. Everyone who implemented WPA2 correctly on their Wi-Fi, on their Wi-Fi-enabled device, they're affected. But the people who didn't implement it correctly are okay. That's that's a basic summary of it, yes. I think that's a very good definition of an irony. <laughs> yes. Mm. And there's nothing to fix on your actual wireless access point, right? Because we've all got those at home or whatever, you know, beaming Wi-Fi around our homes. That isn't the thing which gets uh, updated, is that right? It's more the devices that connect to it. Yes. The technical details of the vulnerability are um, very detailed. Uh, it may be that there is a way to fix the, uh, the access point as well. But I think the major vulnerability here is in your... Um, in your device, your phone, most likely. So what do you think, what do you suggest people do, um, people that are nervous about this? Um, people should just uh, patch their phone whenever an update becomes available. Yeah. Uh, and that's really it. I mean, it, it's not great. It means that an advanced neighbor can see whatever BBC websites you're reading. Not if just phone, though. You mean laptops as well and all devices, right? Yes, except that the phones are particularly vulnerable. But but hang on a moment, Martin. Um, Android phones. You say the very latest version of Android is okay. Is that right? No, no. The very latest version of Android is particularly vulnerable. Oh, I see. Oh, I see. Because they finally implemented WPA2 correctly. Is that right? <laughs> Some, something like that. Yes. Android does take its time doing things correctly, I, so that wouldn't make sense. I bet they're kicking themselves now. So all you have to do if you've got an Android phone is get an update, which yes. historically hasn't always been easy, has it, for every manufacturer of Android devices? That's true. Although, especially the later models are doing a lot better. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that even if you are um, using a, a phone that for some reason is vulnerable but can't be updated, I don't think you have to worry a great deal. And that's partly because if you're really worried about these kind of things, there are, you should also probably worry about your internet provider. Maybe there's someone some rogue employee there spying on you. Right. Um, there probably isn't. But, you know, if, if you're doing top secret things, you need to keep it in. If you're doing top account. secret things, get an iPhone. <laughs> another, th another thing you could do to mitigate the risk, I suppose, is to run a VPN. Although, again, some people I know will respond by saying, oh, but do you trust the VPN provider? But that, that would also be a way to encrypt your communications. Yes. If, if you trust your VPN provider mm. more than you trust anyone who's able to come near you, then yeah, a VPN is a solution. So in a nutshell, you're not s suggesting that we run to the hills and panic and pack away the baked beans and, you know, prepare for nuclear winter? Yep. Turn your Wi-Fi back on. Yep. <laughs> in your view, don't panic. Apply the patches when they become available. Obviously, go to HTTPS. Obviously, your apps, you hope that they are 
communicating securely as well, which are running on your phones because they need to be using SSL as well. Yeah, and take the opportunity to get rid of apps you don't use anymore. You know, That's disconnect from them. Idea. Don't just delete them, disconnect from them. But the Independence original headline for this story may be a little bit of overkill. And yes. uh, if you see similar reports like that, you know, don't panic too much. Yeah, and I think listeners of your show would probably understand that HTTPS is a separate thing that even if the Wi-Fi is broken, HTTPS isn't broken. But average home internet users probably don't. And that's why I don't think these headlines are very helpful. No, and it also reeks of someone who's not very au fait with technology and security who was given this job to write the story. No, it reeks reeks of somebody who was told, get an awful lot of eyeballs to come and visit this web page and get us lots of traffic because we're. The (laughs) subeditor changed it up (laughs) to make it more traffic. Their their job is to make a sexy headline regardless of the truth. It's, It's to entice people. I think that's what's going on here. And it had its own logo as well, didn't it? They'd, they'd worked on a logo. That's smashing. I'm always pleased yeah, to see the, that. The website has a list of frequently asked questions. And one of them is, is there a higher resolution version of the logo available? <laughs> Answer, yes, there is. Because they thought of that. I love it. That's fantastic. Kroll, we still need a topic from you. What, what's caught your eye this week? Well, I chose a topic that hails from the Netherlands for our guest, Martijn. <laughs> Are you laughing at my Dutch accent? Yes. Thanks. It was okay. It was okay. Was it? Sounded a bit like Sean Connery, I thought. For a second there. <laughs> so it seems Dutch police have unveiled a few of their projects under the tagline Police of the Future. All right. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to go down the AI route and robots and face recognition <laughs> just yet. Okay. But according to an article in The Telegraph, Dutch police chief Eric Ackerboom made a few key promises on behalf of Dutch police. And this included doubling their high-tech crime fighting resources in the next four years, introducing better police monitoring, and of course, improved data protection. But they also presented a few tech-based ideas that I wanted to get your thoughts on. All right. Now, one of these is that they're working on an app to help the public assist the cops with crime reporting and investigation. The app is called a tom- Ottoman. Is that how I'd say it, Martin? Ottoman? Like a sofa. An Ottoman sofa. <laughs> like <laughs> I don't even know if it's a Dutch or an English pronunciation. Automon. Automon. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay, so the app Automon is said to be like Pokemon, right? So it's like a game oh, where the would-be sake. Dutch inspector Cluzos out there get points for effectively going up the food chain and helping, you know, giving information to the authorities. What has happened to the world? Okay. Can I let please just, get off? Let me just give an example of how it oh, is go on before then. you freak out. Okay? okay, get on your get your soapbox ready, but don't stand on it just yet. <laughs> You've got to have an app to report a crime. Great. Okay, now carry on, <laughs> carry on. Go on then. Okay, so well, the way they're selling it is, hey, you guys can help us to find lost or stolen cars, right? So I imagine it would work like this. So Graham, you, the Dutch civvy detective, yes, okay, yes. Um, you get an alert on your phone. You're checking out the app in the morning, and you see that there's a stolen car reported in your neighborhood. Oh, stolen right? car, and, yes. And let's say it's like a white Volkswagen Beetle named Herbie, right? So you get really excited. You jump out of bed and you go hunting for this car. And when you find it, you take a picture of the license plate, its location, send it to the cops and collect your amazing citizen reward points. Okay. I kind of see that this does have some potential, right? There's a lot of police departments out there who are struggling to meet today's crime and policing demands. I kind of see the allure of getting volunteers to help monitor the streets for nonviolent crimes. 
But and that this idea of applying kind of game theory rewards taps into our deepest kind of wannabe detective fantasies, doesn't it? It's kind of like you're getting recognized and you get to kind of play at being a detective. Kroll, if this is your detective fantasy, then I, I'm really worried for your <laughs> private life. No, mine's very different. Mine's very different. Okay, but however, I have a, there's a few concerns here, right? Gamifying the reporting of crime is very different from putting out a kind of bulletin saying, hey, can you help us find this car to everyone? Because you're effectively nudging people into being rewarded to kind of be vigilant. And that's just a few steps away from actually spying on other civilians or your neighbors. I don't think it's far-fetched to imagine an app like this would have a kind of a button that says, hey, report something suspicious. And then you're kind of in a kind of I don't know, monitored state, right? Where we're all watching each other. I mean, isn't that why we have cops in the first place? We don't have to do that. So here would be the next step, right? If they've got an app which you're, they're encouraging you to take photographs of people's number plates in case they've got stolen cars, why not take that a stage further and think, well, rather than just cars, why don't we start looking for criminals themselves? So here are mm -hmm. the pictures of the criminals we're after. If you see them, get a selfie done with them. I mean, there you are in Amsterdam. By the way, the, the whole idea of pointing cameras around in Amsterdam, sort of things you may be photographing. I'm slightly worried. I have to, I've never dared go to Amsterdam, but I've heard stories. But Netherlands is a little bit bigger than Amsterdam, just so you oh, know. Okay, thank, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I, I have at least one taxi driver conversation a week where I have to explain that I'm not from Amsterdam, that I never lived in Amsterdam, that I actually grew up with a strong dislike for Amsterdam. Anyway, go on. Uh, with, uh, I think it's basically the equivalent of our Blackpool. And uh, yeah, anyway, but there you are. And then you start taking pictures of people and, you know, uploading exactly. them to the facial recognition. I don't know. I mean, we've been here before and I think we just want to be very careful. There's a lot of tech out there and it's all marketed to be fun and engaging. So the way in which we would do this in the UK is we would have a number plate recognition camera on top of a bridge over a motorway or something. Oh, and I'm sure they're going to have that stuff as well, right? Well, I wonder if they do. Do, do, they, do they have that sort of thing in the Netherlands? We don't have as much surveillance cameras as the UK yeah. because no country has as many surveillance cameras <laughs> exactly. as the UK. Right. <laughs> That's what I figured, yeah. And I wonder whether there are more obvious privacy concerns with the police putting those cameras in rather than, hey, it's just someone walking down the street, doo -doo 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 -doo, taking people's photographs and taking the photographs of cars. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, I mean, I find it hard to compare the privacy concerns of one country compared to the next. There are things that in the UK are completely normal that every Dutch person freaks out about, like these cameras. At the same time, yeah. the Dutch have a very detailed government registered system, which means that if you move homes, you go to the municipality once and you get a letter when there's a the next election and they know you live there and that's all linked. That's kind of probably crazy mm. from a UK point of view. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I guess you're hoping if they do go ahead with this app, I'm hoping that there are users of the app have to be logged in appropriately and effectively traceable, that they do criminal background checks on the people that are actually using the app and getting access to the information, and that you can log activity. You know, I Isn't guess. Isn't there the potential, right? If I was being a little bit crooked here, right? If I was Mr. Big when it came to stealing cars in the Netherlands, couldn't mm -hmm. you pinch a car, right? And then you could take photographs of other cars or similar cars or doctor. Maybe you could doctor the, uh, the location information, send police on a wild goose chase, or maybe you could doctor the picture itself to say the number plate of the thing which they're looking for. Doesn't yeah. a serious car thief anyway change the number plate, actually, thinking about this? 
Well, I guess it might help with like lower crime. Like, I guess the idea at the moment is, you know, say some kids steal a car, go joyriding, leave it, you know, dump it in a street, a side corner street, and someone sees it. They don't need a beat cop to spot it because they've got good old civilians to go, hey, but I suspect that people would do that anyway, right? I don't think you need the app. I, I, think if well, someone- I, don't know, I don't know if I agree with you on that. I think there's some busybody sort of person who would think, oh, look, there's an unusual car parked in my street. Most people wouldn't report that, would they? But if they had an app, I mean, I guess this is what the police are banking on. If they had an app and it was that easy for someone to do yeah, and you called Twitter and you got <laughs> no and you got, you know, 20 points or something by uploading it to the Dutch police, then maybe people will do it more. I don't know if I like it, but. Yeah, they're going to do it more and then everyone's going to, it's going to be a nanny state. Great. Bring it on. This episode of Smashing Security is supported in part by NetSparker. NetSparker is a web application security scanner that can automatically find security flaws in your website and fix them before hackers can exploit them. Try it now by downloading a demo from www.netsparker.com forward slash smashing. On with the show. Welcome to the part of the show which we like to call Pick of the Week. Ah, Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. I love it when we have a regular listener as a guest on the show. He knows what to do. Excellent work, Martin. This is the part of the show where everyone chooses something they like. Could be a funny story, a book they've read, TV show, movie, record, an app, a website, a podcast, whatever. It doesn't have to be security related if you don't want it It to be. Should not be. It doesn't have to be. Mine isn't. No one's is. (laughs) Right? Well, this week it isn't. Because my pick of the week is a great little game called Block Us. B-L-O-K-U-S. Little Is this a board game it, or an app? Oh, well. Oh, I don't know if it's an app as well. I've always played it as a board game, you know, on the dining room table with the family. You can play up to four people. And you have these little plasticky, transparent sort of pieces on a grid. They look okay. like Tetris shapes that you can't have your own coloured pieces touching each other. They, but they do have to be connected diagonally. Does that make sense? I'm waiting for why I care. (laughs) Uh, Well, I'm going to explain exactly why you should care. As more and more pieces are put down, so begins the strategy. Because you are allowed to put your pieces adjacent to the other coloured pieces, and you're beginning to gain more and more territory. And it's actually, it's a surprisingly easy game to learn, but quite sophisticated. And you begin to... So it's basically an amped up version of tic-tac-toe. No. What, noughts and crosses? Yes. No. Of course. Of course it's Sorry, have I done such a bad job of describing it? (laughs) It's nothing like noughts and crosses. Uh, Maybe I tuned out. Yeah, I think maybe you did. I I just don't think you take Pick of the Week very seriously. (laughs) It's great fun. I've just found out that you can play online as well, Carol. Oh, there you go. You're welcome. So um, I'll include a link to that as well in the show notes. (laughs) <laughs> I'm recommending it. I know a lot of people out there think I have excellent choice when it comes to pick of the weeks. <laughs> and so they will be rushing to go and get their copy of Block Us. Thank you very much. It it does look, and I'm doing a Google image search, which gives you a good enough picture already. And it does look kind of cool. Thank you. Martin! <laughs> My pick of the week is a little bit of a security story, but a little bit not as well. It Martin. is about the something I read about the first cyber attack ever, which took place in the year 1834. Now, there weren't any computers back in 1834. And in fact, 
there wasn't even an electric telegraph, but there was something called an optical telegraph. So in, in various countries, there were networks of towers with on top of the tower a mechanism with some wooden arms. And a, a human operator could set these arms in various positions, which corresponded to letters and digits. And these could be read by the operator on the next tower. And this way you could send a message over long distances within a very short time, like a few minutes to cover um, Paris to Bordeaux. This is like a, a big mechanical version of semaphore. Or something like that. So it's... It's exactly that. Yes. Right. Okay. That sounds really clever. So France was one of the countries with such a network, and because of the cost of operating mm -hmm. it, it was exclusively used by the government. Now, two bankers in Bordeaux, which is a city a few hundred miles southwest of Paris, uh, they found a sneaky way to hack the system and have messages about trades in Paris sent to them in a covered way so that they could act upon them faster than the competitors who had to wait for the mail coach, which would take days. So they did, they did this by exploiting a special backspace character used by the system. So they had <laughs> an accomplice in Paris sent a letter that somehow in a pre-agreed way encoded some kind of market activity, then add a backspace and then send the actual message. And this backspace would as well as the secret character would be uh, sent all the way to Bordeaux. Uh, but it wouldn't be locked because everyone thought a mistake had been made. Uh, so no one noticed what was sent, but they could see oh. the secret message from a safe distance. This went on for two this years. This is like the earliest cybercrime ever. That is fantastic. So we'll put a link in the show notes where people can read up more about that. But that sounds... That's a good like. pick of the week, isn't it, Graham? Well, yes, I recognise a good pick of the week when I see one. Yes, this was a good pick of the week. Well done, Martin. Thank you. If you like this sort of thing, the guy is Tom Standage, and the book is called The Victorian Internet, and it's it's really cool. It's one of my favourite history books. Perfect. I and think I that's a, a perfect pick of the week. Oh, we've had two good <laughs> picks of the week so far. I can't wait to see what Carol's <laughs> pick of the week is oh, going to be, so we can judge it. And determine if it's of the same sort of quality. Well, Graham, I picked my pick of the week for you. Now, okay. do you remember we used to work together a while ago? And oh, yeah. one day, when the, during those 15 years of working together, I came down from a meeting and I brought you an amazingly delicious chocolate. <laughs> oh, boy. Yes, and yeah, you were so exactly touched. I remember you were just like, oh, that's lovely, you said. At first, I thought it was a very kind thing and to do. And you popped yes. it in your mouth. Yes. And I thought, that's so kind. She's walked all this way with this with this lovely chocolate. And I convinced and I you I'd already had mouth. one and that I loved it. Yes, and it was you said, delicious. oh, it's lovely. Try this, Graham. I thought, this is mm -hmm. so generous of you. And I put it in my mouth and I, I munched away and I went, oh, my God. Oh, this is the most disgusting <laughs> tasting. Oh, whoa. Now, what I had given him was a durian chocolate. And uh, so my pick of the week is an article on Mashable, which is a video of 100 people attempting to eat durian. I don't know if I want to watch this. This is basically people being tortured. Do they realise what they're going to do? Well, this is terrible. This is like that human centipede movie. This is just a, a terrible, terrible <laughs> thing which should never be allowed. Okay, I'm playing it right now. They're, they're tucking in. Oh. Oh, yes, she is swearing already. it smells, basically. A lot of people say rotting trash, rotting fish. Oh. You remember. I never actually tried it. What? <laughs> you never, and you made me eat it? No, I knew about it. You see, I do a lot of food reading. so Basically, 
This is a video of people who look like they're about to be physically sick. Well, that's nice. That's my pick of well, the week. So you've, you've sent us a vomitarian vid- video, basically. Enjoy, folks. Enjoy. Classy. And you are welcome, because I think you'll have a bit more fun at my pick of the week. <laughs> Let's be honest. I'm not so sure. I don't know why we're talking like this, but I'm not so <laughs> sure about that, Carol. Well, if you want to give us a bit of love, you can follow us on Twitter at Smashing Security without a G. Twitter doesn't allow us to have a G. <laughs> or you can join our Facebook group at smashingsecurity.com slash Facebook. That'll take you tr- straight there. And we have swag if you want to buy a T-shirt at smashingsecurity.com slash store. And that just about wraps it up. Martin, if people want to follow you online, what's the best way to do that? Just go to Martijn underscore Groten on Twitter. <laughs> Cut and paste it from the show notes, people. M A R T I J N underscore G R A T E N. So thanks for tuning in, everybody. If you know someone else who might like the Smashing Security podcast, go on, tell them about it. Yeah, pass us on. Yeah, why not? Until next time, cheerio. Bye bye. Bye. Was that all right? Your pick of the week sucked, man. <laughs> Let's be honest. No, really, it doesn't. Okay, okay, you know what? I will reserve judgment. As I said, I'll go check it out. I'll go check it out.